0: J.C. Ryle once said regarding his writing and preaching, Ryle was a faithful, faithful preacher of the gospel, an Anglican who lived in the 1800s in Liverpool, England. He said concerning his writing and his preaching, my desire is to exalt the grace of God. To proclaim salvation alone through the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. To declare the sinfulness, helplessness, and hopelessness of man in his state of nature. And to describe, as far as I am able, the living experience of the saints of God in their trials, temptations, and sorrows and in their consolations and blessings. When I read that earlier this week, I thought, Ryle's desire is my desire. I want to exalt God's free grace in Jesus Christ in this generation. I want to proclaim salvation alone through the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, Every time I take my pen to write an article, or a hymn, or a book, I want to proclaim God's salvation in Christ. I want to declare man's sinfulness, helplessness, and hopelessness. If you're without Christ, without God, without hope in Christ, you're nothing but a mass of sin, dead in trespasses and in sins, helpless, hopeless, and useless, except in your damnation. What a horrible state for man to be in. And I want to describe, as far as I am able, by the grace of God, the living experience of God's saints in this world, in their trials, in their temptations, in their sorrows, and in their consolations, in their joys, in their blessings. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. That will be my text. I want to talk to you, as God the Holy Ghost will enable me, about heart faith. Heart faith. In true Saving religion. In true Christianity, the heart is the primary thing. The Lord God says, my son, give me thine heart. What a wife wants in her husband is his heart. What a man wants in his wife is her heart. What God requires is the heart. The wise man said, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You remember the Lord told Samuel when he sent him to anoint a king for Israel, the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We're easily impressed, and we easily impress one another if we decide to do so, because men only look on the outward appearance. That's all you can see. That's all I can see. So I, I know what's in your heart. No you, don't. no, you don't. The only thing you know that's in my heart is what's in yours and that's sin. No, you don't. You, all you can see is what I show you. All you can see is what's on the outside. All men can see is the outward appearance. But the Lord sees the heart. If that doesn't sober you, I don't know what will. Israel's greatest provocation of God's wrath is described in these words. They did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him. They flattered him with their mouth. Just read in Isaiah chapter 7 about Ahaz, the Lord God told him to seek a sign. And you know how the king responded? That godless, reprobate, wicked, vile king who compromised the worship of godless Samaritans. You know how he responded? God said, now, seek a sign. He told Isaiah, he said, tell Ahaz to seek a sign. He said, I won't do that. I won't tempt the Lord. I won't tempt the Lord. Pretending to honor God, his heart was despising him. When the Ethiopian eunuch desired to be baptized as all believers ought, Philip said unto him, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The Apostle Peter pronounced upon Simon Magus everlasting condemnation, declaring, Thy heart is not right in the sight of God. God looks on the heart. Christianity is a religion. Of the heart, it's more than a profession of faith. It's more than a creed. It's more than a doctrine. It's more than a church association. Christianity is a religion of the heart. It's a living union with the living God. And Lindsay, that's what Christianity is. It's a living union with the living God. No man can produce it. It's the work of God. Christianity is a living union with the living God. Our text says, Romans 10, verse 10, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. To many, those are strange words. It's common for men to attribute the act of faith to the understanding of the mind. The mind hears, receives, and agrees to certain facts which appear to be credible and worthy of acceptance. But our text says that saving faith is an act of the heart, a work of the affections, not of the mind. The head is not the principal thing. You may know the whole truth as it is in Christ Jesus and not know him who is truth. You may be clear, correct, and sound in your religious opinions and not know the Lord God. You may be thoroughly orthodox in your doctrine and not believe on the Son of God, walking in the broad way that leads to destruction. Your heart is the principal thing. We live in a generation of folks, many of whom have, uh, they deem themselves intellectuals and they deem themselves smart, uh, real smart. And they're really Gnostics. They think that salvation is just knowing facts and doctrines, just knowing truth. Salvation is not knowing this truth or that truth. It is knowing him who is the truth. You can know all the truths concerning Christ and never know Christ the truth. Salvation's a hard work. I fear most professed Christians make their outward life and conduct the principal thing. You may be very moral and decent and respectable in the eyes of men, your family, your pastor, your husband, your wife, your sons, your daughter, your mother, your father, your friends, your neighbors may all see nothing at all wrong in your outward conduct and admire you greatly and speak highly of you. But all the time, you're hanging over the brink of hell because your heart is not right with God. Romans chapter 10, look at verses 9 and 10 together. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, with the heart, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. We must not be presumptuous here. One of Satan's most subtle devices whereby he deceives the souls of men is this. He substitutes an emotional decision or a doctrinal creed or a theological system or a disciplined ascetic religious life for heart faith. There are some things that all of us here believe to be true. I have no question about that. No question about these things clearly revealed in Scripture. Our doctrine is very clear, thoroughly orthodox in this place. We believe there is one true and living God. We believe that God in heaven is sovereign, holy, just, and good. We believe that this book is the very word of God, the inspired, written word of God. We believe that Jesus Christ is God in our nature, that he came here in human flesh. God the Son took on himself our nature. He became one of us. He lived in obedience to God as a perfect representative man. He died under the wrath of God being made sin for sinners. And he did this to save his people from their sins. He came here and was made sin that he might save sinners and make them righteous by his grace. We believe in eternity, heaven and hell. Everlasting heaven, everlasting hell, everlasting life, everlasting death. And we believe in the resurrection and judgment. Soon, you and I will meet God face to face in judgment. Soon. And we believe in the wonderful, sweet, glorious, God-honoring doctrines of God's free and sovereign grace in Christ. In this place, we are not bashful. Your pastor is not bashful about proclaiming, and you're not bashful about letting folks know you believe the message of God's free grace. Election, predestination, limited atonement, irresistible grace are just like salt and pepper on the table in this house. We never, never, never are embarrassed to proclaim those things. But it's possible to believe all those things and yet perish in your sins. There are multitudes in hell today who while they walked on this earth were good, Baptists and thoroughly convinced Calvinists. Say, preacher, prove that to me. I'll give you one fellow's name. His name was Judas, the betrayer. He was, Lindsay, while he walked on this earth, Probably the most respected of all the apostles by his peers. They trusted him with the bag. When Judas saw that woman uh, take an alabaster box and break it and anoint the Savior for his burial and washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head, Judas said, why this waste? We could have taken that year's, salary and given it to feed the poor. And all the apostles followed suit. All of them. Judas, I had no doubt at all, believed all things truth. And yet this man didn't know the truth. He didn't know God. There was a fellow by the name of Simon Magus who came and professed the truth. And yet he thought it could be bought. And Peter made it plain he didn't know God. Ananias and Sapphira were well respected. They came and brought their half of their goods and laid it at the apostles' feet, but their heart was far from God. There was a man who walked with the apostle Paul from place to place, from town to town, from city to city, as he preached the gospel of God's grace, ministered to him for years. His name was Demas, who at last forsook him. There's a fellow who was in the church that John wrote to in 2 John and 3 John who who was a a pillar in the church, outwardly, a leader in the church who loved to have the preeminence, whose name was Diotrephes. Hell is overflowing with folks who know facts but not God, who knew truths but not the truth. We must have heart faith, that faith of which the apostle speaks here, or forever perish. Let's bring our faith to the Word of God and examine it. Examine yourselves, Paul said. Dare you do so. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Christ is in you except you be reprobates? I bring my faith Again this day to this book, before God, and I ask God to shine the light of his word and his spirit upon my heart and reveal to me truth, Christ the truth. If your faith is good, if it's true, if it's sound, if it's heart faith, examination will only do it good. If it is false. It's high time you knew it and fled to Christ for refuge. I have faith, but do I have this thing that Paul speaks of as heart faith? Heart faith. Where there is religion, there is faith of some kind. And we see in the scriptures, example after example of false faith. Faith by which multitudes are deceived. Turn back to the Gospel of John, the second chapter. John chapter 2 and verse, uh, verse 23. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. Many believed in his name. He had turned water into wine. I mean gallons of it. He had turned water into wine at the marriage feast in Cana, where he began to show forth his glory. And folks said, this is the man. This is he. This must be the Christ. This must be that prophet. This must be the Messiah. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which Jesus did. But Jesus did not commit himself. Jesus did not believe himself unto them. (laughs) It's the same word. They, They believed on him, but he didn't believe in them. How come? Because he knew all. Satan is a master deceiver. And the faith by which he deceives the souls of men appears in many ways to be genuine faith. It's very impressive. False faith is very productive. It does a lot. It does a lot. Let me give you some examples. False faith is often greatly enlightened and knowledgeable of gospel truth. False faith can defend the five points of Calvinism and not have any hard interest in them at all. We read in Hebrews 6, 4 of some apostates, folks who didn't know God, who were once enlightened. False faith excites the affections. Our Lord told us of those who receive the word of God with joy. Receive it with joy. Some time ago, I read something by Brother Clay Curtis. He said, uh, "He said those who jump in the pool and make the biggest splash get out the quickest. And I have often seen it to be so in the experience of pastoring. Folks come in, congregation, make a big splash, and then uh, somebody looks the wrong way at them, and they're gone. I mean, somebody uh, uh, <laughs> doesn't have to do anything. They're going out quickly. Because they received the word of God like seed sown on stony ground. A little bit of dirt there, it springs up, it's gone just that quick. They received the word with joy, with excitement, but it's gone in a hurry. False faith reforms the outward life. There were a whole generation of folks called Pharisees who said, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men are. Oh, I'm not like those fellas down yonder, those folks over yonder, those women back there, those women back there. Oh no. I uh I, I'm I'm not an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer. I'm not even like this publican. I fast twice in the week and give tithes of all I possess. Very, very good man outwardly. Very good man outwardly. I can't tell you how many times Folks have uh, come to me in anger because they recognize that the gospel of God's grace declares plainly what God is, who God is and what Christ has done, what man is and how men are saved and must be saved. And, and they recognize, well, my daddy didn't believe that, my mama didn't believe that, my neighbor didn't believe that, my son doesn't believe that, my daughter did not believe that, my wife, my husband. And they get mad. Oh, you said my daddy's lost. No, I didn't. You did. <laughs> I didn't say You did. You just heard the truth and said, well, if that's the case, daddy must be lost. But he was such a good man. He's such a good man. That gal they called Mother Teresa, I understand, was a very good woman. She made lots of sacrifices and didn't know God from a billy goat. Outward reformation is not faith. False faith may even speak well of Christ and often does. The Jews said, never a man spake like this man. Nicodemus, before he knew the Lord, came to him one night and said, Good master, we know thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We, we know you're, 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 you're a man of God. We, we, we know you're, you're a man sent from God. You couldn't do these things if God wasn't with you. False faith. Even confesses sin. Have you observed how many times, as Lindsay has been teaching us through the book of Exodus, Pharaoh called Moses in and said, I've sinned. This time I have sinned. This time I and my people have sinned. False faith often confesses sin. Sins. Sins. You see, false faith always deals with the outward always deals with the outward confessing sins people have the idea that getting saved as they call it what a horrible thing somebody said well well I went to church last night and got saved no you didn't you just got a dose of religion that's all that's all it's kind of like they they think it's like going to a a papist confessional booth and telling the priest forgive me father for I've said what have you done well I cheated on a test I cheated on my wife I robbed a bank I shot somebody And that's it. Well, you do this and everything's all right. False faith deals with outward things, with outward things, and confesses sin. Saul said, I have sinned. Behold, I played the fool. I've greatly erred. But he didn't know God. He didn't know God. He was just dealing with things on the outside. Nothing else. Nothing else. False faith often does that. False faith may humble itself in sackcloth and ashes. Ahab did. False faith will even repent, as men call repentance. I've heard a lot of folks, uh, a lot of preachers over the years, nobody talks much about repentance anymore. What they're talking about is men doing penance. Well, false faith will repent like Esau did. Esau repented. Read the scriptures. He repented. He didn't turn to God, but he repented. He, he greatly mourned the fact that he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. And it, it grieved him greatly. We read in the scriptures that Judas repented. Now Judas, oh, he, he betrayed innocent blood. He didn't turn to God, but he repented of what he'd done. And where and hung himself. False faith often performs religious works, like the nation of Israel. For 2,000 years, they retained the ceremonies and ordinances and word of God. They retained the genealogical records that prove, that prove the Messiahship of our Lord Jesus Christ. They maintained them for 2,000 years, but did no know God. False faith... Sometimes very generous and charitable. Usually likes to brag about it. <laughs> Usually likes to brag about it. Ananias and Sapphira, I told you earlier, others brought, sold what they had, brought it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira pretended to do so. They brought a huge gift, but they pretended to bring more. False faith even trembles at God's word. Felix did here's the word of God just scared to death of going to hell right now false faith may experience much in religion those apostates described in Hebrews chapter 6 are described like this they tasted the good word of God and powers of the world to come Mark I don't have any idea what all that includes that's talking about some experience. False faith experiences much. False faith often enjoys great religious privileges and depends on them. There was a woman described in the book of Genesis, very slightly. She, uh, she was in Ur the days when God called Abraham. And she left Ur with Abraham. She was married to a fellow by the name of Lot. And Lot was a righteous man. Lot and his wife walked in Abraham's company for years. Worshiped God at the same altar with Abraham. Lot and his wife heard Abraham give direct record of the revelations God gave him. Abraham was their instructor. Lot believed God. This woman was in Sodom with her husband Lot. And the angels came and hastened them to get out. They wouldn't leave. So the angel took Lot and his wife by the hand. And another took his two daughters by their hands. Now, try, try to imagine this. Bobby, this is a woman who was brought out of Lot. Physically, by the hand of an angel. Tell me somebody else you know who did that. You tell me somebody who's had an experience comparable to that. You you couldn't tell her an angel didn't bring her out. You couldn't tell her the Lord didn't deliver her from Sodom. And she died because she looked back. Because her heart wasn't in the matter. Her heart wasn't in the matter. False faith experiences much in religion. Enjoys great religious privileges. False faith may even preach, perform miracles, cast out demons, and be greatly used of God. No. Man doesn't have to be saved to know God. I don't have to be saved I'm sorry, to be used of God. He doesn't have to know God to be used of God. Oh no, 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 no. I had no question Judas performed miracles. He went out with the disciples as our Lord sent them out. I had no doubt at all that Judas had all the gifts and talents the other apostles did to you. I had no question about those. There were was, was some magicians in Pharaoh's court. Do you know those fellows, when Aaron cast down his rod, he became a serpent? They said, we can do that, and they did. And they did. False faith may even attain high office in God's church, may stand among people as I stand among you. Admired and loved as a pastor faithfully serving them. Diotrephes did. False faith may be carnally secure and peaceful, The scripture tells us, our Lord did in one of his parables, about ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. And uh, the foolish virgins were just as comfortable and secure as as the wise virgins were. They all slept peacefully. Everything's all right. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. I know I'm saved. I was there when it happened. I can take you to the place and show you the time where God saved me by his grace. I know all about that. And false faith may even persevere to the day of judgment. In that day, many will say to me, our Savior declares, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name? And I will say to them, depart from me, you cursed. I never knew you. Will you be numbered among them? Will I? Thomas Manton made this statement. I think it's worth hearing. Though thou pray with the Pharisee, pay thy vows with the harlot, kiss Christ with Judas, offer sacrifice with Cain, fast with Jezebel, Sell thine inheritance to give to the poor with Ananias and Sapphira. All is vain without the heart. All is vain without the heart. Now let me ask you three questions. And I'll wrap this up. Number one, what is this heart faith? What is it? I won't attempt to define faith, I know I can't. I won't attempt to explain it, I know I can't. But I do know that true saving faith involves at least these three things. They're worth remembering. True saving faith cannot be divorced from knowledge. You've got to have knowledge of God the Son. You've got to have knowledge of the gospel of God's grace. You've got to have knowledge of God and His work, His character and His work, His character and His accomplishments, or you can't believe it. The Scriptures are very plain and very clear. You've got to know Christ before you can trust Him. Brother Mahan used to say we traveled together, uh, I guess I traveled somewhere with him at least once a month for 20 years preaching. And I believe everywhere we ever went together preaching, I'd hear him say this sometime or another during the meeting. You can't trust an unknown Christ any more than you can come back from someplace you've never been. You You just can't come back from someplace you've never been. And you can't trust Christ if you don't know him. The scriptures are specific. How shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? You can't trust Christ If you don't know him, you can look in the skies and understand that God is. You can't avoid it. You have in your heart and your conscience God's witness of himself within you. You can't avoid knowing that God is, but you can't know him by nature. You can't know him by nature. Somebody's got to tell you about him. Somebody's got to proclaim the gospel to you. This is what the preaching of the gospel is. It is dispersing abroad the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel, our our responsibility, our privilege, our work is to disperse to this generation the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ the Lord. Before anyone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he must know his need of Christ. He must know his sin, his guilt, his depravity, he must know his danger. you got to know your utter impotence and inability in yourself. And before you can trust Christ, you've got to know Christ's ability and willingness to save sinners. <laughs> you've got to know him who came here to redeem and save sinners by his obedience unto death as the sinner's substitute. Him who brought in everlasting righteousness, Him who put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Him who sits in heaven with all power in his hands. Able by his rule of the very thoughts and intents of the heart. By his rule of angels and devils. He's able by the merit of his blood and the power of his grace to save to the uttermost all who come to God by him. Before anyone will ever trust Christ. He's got to know Christ's ability and his willingness to save. The greatness of his person. This one we proclaim to you is himself God incarnate. God incarnate. In this generation that means so little because folks have no idea who God is. But God incarnate is God almighty omnipotent, eternal, God irresistible, God holy, righteous, just, and true, God incomprehensible, God who is spirit in the flesh, who accomplished righteousness. That's righteousness that's worth something. It's worth God's approval. Righteousness that merits something, it merits God's acceptance. He is God who by one sacrifice is able to redeem the church with his own blood because this man is God. This man is, that makes his blood of infinite worth, of infinite value, of infinite efficacy. That means that every sinner for whom he died is and must be saved, redeemed by his precious blood. To know Christ, you got to know him as God, our Savior. God in the flesh in whom resides omnipotent grace. (laughs) Omnipotent grace. Isn't that a wonderful term? Omnipotent grace. That's grace able to save something like Larry Brown or Don Fortin. That's grace able to save a wretch like you or me. That's grace Able to save to the uttermost all who come to God by him. And so a preacher, I, uh, surely everybody knows, that, recognizes those things are involved. You've got to know those things. Not many folks recognize that. But knowing them isn't necessarily faith. Isn't necessarily faith. I told the folks in Ashton a few weeks ago, I remember an incident it happened with Brother Todd and Ibert's sister, Susan. She was attending Ashland Community College. And uh, some of you will remember, remember her when she was in college in Lexington, attending church here before they started the work over at over Lexington. But uh, she was getting a pretty good bit of fuss. Folks arguing with her because they found out she went to church there where Brother Mayhem was pastor, and, and they'd known as being Calvinist, and folks were just fussing. Arguing, fussing, making fun of her. And the professor got wind of it. I, uh, I don't know who he was, but he, one day in class he brought a Bible with him. And he said, uh, it was in a philosophy class of some kind. He said, he said, uh, now y'all have been talking a good bit about this book we have in this class. And he said, I've read this book several times. And he said, uh, I know you debate whether or not it teaches Calvinism. He said, this book teaches Calvinism. There's just no question about that. Besides that, I'd a whole lot rather be a Calvinist and know I was going to hell than be an Arminian and not know where in the hell I was going. <laughs> he, he knew the facts, but knowing facts is not knowing God. Saving faith involves more than knowledge, it involves the assent of the heart. It's the heart saying, Amen, that's right. Amen, that's right. It's agreement with God. You've often heard me and others say saving faith is taking sides with God. That's what it is. It's giving agreement to God. It's confessing that God is true. I'm the liar. God is true. The preacher's the liar. God is true. The church is the liar. God is true. I take sides with God. What he says is so. It's not just mentally agreeing. It's the ascent of the heart. And that ascent of the heart involves this third thing, trust, trust, commitment. That's what trust is. Trust, Eric, is the commitment of your life to the Son of God. That's what it is, commitment to Him. I uh, tried to figure a way to, illustrate what I'm saying about this thing of trust and I don't really know a good way to illustrate it I just have to use some poor ways when I was about to move to Danville I had gone through uh, cancer treatments radiation chemotherapy surgery the whole nine yards and I had just finished those things and I had a good family doctor at home and I asked him I said, Do you know a good doctor that you can recommend in Danville, Kentucky? The church there's called me to be a pastor, and I, I need to find a doctor. He said, Let me go find my books. And he went back and found one of his yearbooks. He went to school here at UK and he opened a picture and he said, he said, Finley Hendrickson's in Danville. He's the he was the best in our class. And Dr. Hendrickson was my doctor for 37 years. And you know what I'd do whenever I had trouble? Whatever he said, do. I never looked up anything. I, I advise you not to because you don't know what you're looking up. I never looked up a thing. Never looked up any sickness, disease, illness, anything. Else. Just didn't. How come? Because I got a good doctor. Got a good doctor. And other folks will come and give me some counsel, so you ought to do this, you ought to take that, you ought to go there. I just said, well, thank you. And i go talk to my doctor. Got a good doctor. And uh, when he said you need to go... Uh, Go over to Lexington and said, You got a problem. You got a problem. And uh, he said, We're going to get to the bottom of it. Other doctors said, No, that's not the problem. They came in, they disagreed with him. But I got a good doctor. You know what I did? I said, Make the arrangements. Make the arrangements. Went to Lexington. How come? Because I trusted him. Upon the credible word of another, I had proved. And then he. Tell me these surgeons are going to have to cut me open. They're going to have to go work on you. How, 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 do, you, how do you handle that? <laughs> well, you just say, give me something to make it easy. <laughs> and, you, and you just stretch out and lay down there and they cut you open. They cut you open. How can you dare trust a man to split your body into? Take the parts out and examine them, put stuff back in. that wasn't in there before. How can you do that? It's called commitment, trust, I'm putting everything in your hands, I'm putting everything in your hands. I said to Dr. Sekella, when I was busy with him when he first came in, and consulting with me, I said, Dr. sakella let me tell you something. I said, you do whatever you need to do. I know your record, I know your background as best I can, and I know how your peers speak of you. And you do whatever you need to do, and you don't need to be concerned at all, that my wife, my family, or I are going to sue you if something happens. It won't happen. It won't happen. I'm in your hands. I'm in your hands. That's what I'm talking about. Do you reckon that little old chair right there, you reckon that would hold uh, 275 pounds? You reckon it would? I ain't so sure. Yeah, I believe it will. No, that's not it. That's not it. (sighs) I believe it will. No, that's not it. It'll hold it. It'll hold it. Let me tell you something. Cast your soul on the Son of God. He's able to save to the uttermost all who come to God by Him. God help you to believe Him. Amen.